Good afternoon and welcome to the United Nations to our side event, the Human Rights Dimension, addressing the new anti-Semitism and related intolerance. My name is Ugoji Adanma Eze, the CEO and President of the Engineer Aja Eze Foundation, a foundation that focuses on women and children in conflict zones. First and foremost, I'd like to thank the mission of Palau to the United Nations for making this event possible. Your Excellency, I thank you. There's a need to confront intolerance where it exists and to prevent it from spreading. It is imperative for all wishing to live in societies that are free from hatred. Diversity is a source of immense economic value. If not managed effectively, it may bring the world to its knees. Intolerance in all forms, be it racial discrimination, racism, xenophobia, and related intolerance constitutes a grave violation of an obstacle to the full enjoyment of human rights and deny the self-evident truth that all human beings are indeed born free and equal in dignity. Such intolerance are indeed among the root causes of numerous international and conflicts, including armed conflicts and the consequent forced displacement of population. In Europe, there's been an emergence of hate crimes and hate speech, be it in the form of anti-Jewish and anti-Roma sentiments. It now gives me great pleasure to introduce my colleague and friend, Laura Cardoza moore president of the Proclaiming Justice to the Nations. Laura, I'm absolutely delighted to be on a panel with you, finally. How did we yes. meet, Laura? Yeah. Now it gives me immense pleasure to introduce um, Dr. Charles Asher-Small. Um, he's a director of the Institute for the Study of Global Antisemitism and Policy. He's also the current Distinguished Scholar at the Hoover Institute. Dr. Charles Asher-Small, the floor is yours. So thank you very much. Um, First of all, I'd like to thank Ms. Eze and Ms. Cardosa Moore very much for enabling me to be here. It's a great honor, so thank you very much. I'd like to acknowledge and, and thank the, the representative from Palau for allowing this uh, event to occur, enabling it to occur. And I recognize one other diplomat here from the UN, the Israel Mission to the United Nations. Uh, I'd like to acknowledge you. And to all other UN uh, ambassadors and uh, UN workers, uh, I'm honored to be here and thank you for coming and all other interest, uh, interested parties. I'd like to start by mentioning that today of course is Yom HaShoah. It's the day that uh, we commemorate the Shoah, the Holocaust. And it's this institution, this very institution of the United Nations that emerged from the ashes of the Holocaust and after the Second World War and after the Holocaust, the world got together and said never again and created this institution from the ashes of Europe and created international legislation and a convention on the prevention and punishment of genocide in 1948 that the international community would never allow the horrors, the moral and political catastrophe that Europe was enabled to slide into, which resulted, as we know, in, in the Holocaust. Primo Levi, 
who said, he said, and I quote, we cannot understand fascism, but we can and we must understand from where it springs and we must be on our guard. We must beware that what happened here, i.e. in Auschwitz, can happen again. It is for this reason that it is everyone's duty to reflect upon what occurred. That's from Primo Levi. And of course today is Yom HaShoah in 2000, 2014. I have the distinct honor to speak to you about anti-Semitism. And there was an international belief up until recently that anti-Semitism somehow was eradicated in Auschwitz. That the world learned its lesson and that the world was progressing to a new era of cooperation. But what we know and what, we is, what is clear is that what happened in Auschwitz is that people were exterminated and murdered. And the disease of anti-Semitism, the strain of anti-Semitism is prevalent among us today and it's prevalent and among us even in this institution that was created from the ashes of the Holocaust. In fact, we know that there are member states and committees and institutions associated with the United Nations that has actually become the purveyor of this disease. Let me take a step back for a moment. And I, and I think the theme of what I want to reiterate to you this, this afternoon is that anti-Semitism is not a parochial problem. It's not a problem of the Jewish people. It's a problem of the international community. And we know from history that once the disease of anti-Semitism is unleashed into society, it affects other people. Anti-Semitism may begin with Jewish people, but it never ends with Jewish people. This disease of hatred attacks others, women, gender, people with gendered identity, religious minorities, moderates, people that don't hear, adhere to the extreme social movement of, and that, in, that uses anti-Semitism. So in, in a nutshell, I'd like to say that anti-Semitism, I'm going to give you the two-minute history of anti-Semitism, that anti-Semitism can be seen as entering or consisting of three phases. One was a religious phase in which the Jews were perceived as the wrong religion. In fact, not only were they perceived as the wrong religion, they were perceived as being blinded by evil for not accepting the Christian Messiah or the, the Christ as the, as the Messiah that they were blinded by evil. And moreover, not only did they have a spiritual problem of their own, there was a widely held belief that if the Jews would not accept the Christian version of the universal reality and the metaphysical reality, that the Jews were hindering bringing about the messianic age, that they were holding back the world from achieving peace and, and, and oneness in the world. Then, fast forward, anti-Semitism entered a new phase, the dominant way of looking at the world left the religious worldview and entered into biologically determined notions of identity, that race and ethnic identity became the way the world was uh, constructed, colonialism and the rise of Europe entering into various continents, used this philosophy and spread this philosophy, and suddenly the Jewish people, Jewish people in Europe and in other parts of the world who were living in communities for many centuries were suddenly the wrong race, the wrong nation. And people believed that to save the race or to save the nation that the Jews had to be expelled. And 
unlike the religious moment of anti-Semitism, where the Jews had a, a way out, they could have converted many times by force to save their lives. When it came to race and ethnicity, there was no way out. There's no way to change your group in this socially constructed racist vision of the world. So the Jews had to be expelled, or worse, they were murdered. Today, in the contemporary context, the new anti-Semitism, the contemporary anti-Semitism, is based on demonizing and dehumanizing the Jewish people's notion of who they are, the Jewish notion of peoplehood, their association and their connection from the beginning of time, from the time of the Torah, from the time of the New Testament, from the time of the Quran, the Jews were connected to Israel, their homeland, to Jerusalem. We just finished celebrating Passover or Pesach, where we celebrate our, our, our wishes to return to our home, Israel, and to our, our, our sacred city, Jerusalem. And this is what we just finished celebrating about a week ago. And today, in this institution in particular, the demonization and the dehumanization of Israel. Israel is a Nazi state, an apartheid state, an apartheid state which today, whether it was intended or not, is now in the headlines again throughout the world. Israel, apartheid, is in the headlines today on Yom HaShoah, and this is a travesty. The demonization of Israel is the contemporary anti-Semitism. And like the old forms of anti-Semitism, if the Jews can just accept the Christian notion of the Messiah, if the Jewish race would just disappear, the world would be saved. And today, there are people, again, in these halls and throughout the international community, saying that if only Israel would disappear, if only the stubborn Jews would disappear or change their policies, there would be peace in the Middle East and there would be peace throughout the world. And here we can see the connection between the three phases of anti-Semitism. And again, human redemption somehow bound up in the Jewish fate and, and changing the Jewish fate. And this is the inherent, and I'm choosing my words carefully as a scholar, the inherent genocidal aspect of anti-Semitism. Today, leaders of the Iranian revolutionary regime, Hamas, Hezbollah, the Muslim Brotherhood, actually believe, based on a twisted form of Islam, I'm speaking about Islamism, radical political Islam, I am not speaking about the great religion of Islam, and I am not speaking about Muslims, I'm speaking about political radical Islam. They are teaching generations that Jews are the descendants of apes and pigs, that Jews are the carriers of all that is evil. And this propaganda is being spread in this institution, it's being spread in the media, and it's being spread in embassies throughout the world. And in a sense, they have become the shock troops, the shock troops of the postmodern human rights community in the Western world that allow this reactionary social movement to use the most disgusting and pernicious forms of hatred to go unchecked. It's the anti-Semitism in the words of John Potter, it's, it's the evil that we dare not speak its name. There's a collective silence in this community, and as I said earlier, anti-Semitism begins with the Jews and it doesn't end with the Jews. The focus on Israel, the focus on the Zionists, the focus on the Jews, while societies and institutions are being transformed, while women are subjugated, 
where gay people are executed, where religious minorities are being driven from communities and their homes that they've inhabited since the time of Christ. And the Jew is the focus, while the international human rights community not only remains silent, but actually aids and abets and engages. Could you imagine? I was, I was active in the anti-apartheid movement as a, a young man in the 80s and 90s. I was actually the chairperson of the African National Congress Solidarity Committee of Canada. And I was active in Europe and in the United Kingdom. And I worked with the leadership of the ANC as a, a young student fighting for social democratic principles to end the crime against humanity that the real apartheid was. And I remember fighting for the Freedom Charter, which in, embedded, embedded in the Freedom Charter were the basic human rights notions in which the, the, the ANC and the United Nations were very much in step with. But today, if you read the Hamas Charter or the, 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 the writings of the Muslim Brotherhood, where they take the most pernicious forms of European anti-Semitism and infuse it in their theology, the covenant of Hamas, for example, the Iranian revolutionary regime speaks openly about killing Jews, and yet there is a silence. And this silence, I, I would venture to guess, is based on short-term interests and politics. Um, I have a list of quotes, perhaps if there's question and answers, I can get to the, to the quotes by, by leaders of Islamist organizations. Recently, I, I was in Rwanda to mark the 20th anniversary of the genocide in Rwanda. And I got there in a strange sort of way. I actually, it was five years ago at the Durban II conference that I spoke at the United Nations in Geneva. Um, and it was also Yam Hoshoah. And I was on a panel with distinguished scholars, Erwin Kotler and other people. And after I spoke about incitement in Article 3, I gave a paper in Article 3 of the convention for the, uh, for the Convention of the Punishment and Prevention of Genocide, Article 3 stipulates that incitement is considered a crime under international law, and the signatures, the countries that signed this document, are obligated to persecute, uh, sorry, prosecute people who violate Article 3. And there's an abundance of examples in the world when it comes to Israel. After my lecture, a group of Rwandan diplomats and scholars came to speak to me, and they took me for a cup of coffee. And they said to me, why is there silence in the international human rights community? Why are scholars silent? Why is the Jewish community silent internationally? And they said to me, don't you understand what happened to us, the Tutsis? was the dehumanization, people calling us cockroaches for years and insects. And this created the context in which the massacre, the genocide took place. And it was the Rwandan scholars and diplomats that said to me, this is exactly what happened leading up to the Holocaust. The protocols of the elders of Zion and the dehumanization of the Jewish people led to the Holocaust. And we have to remember that genocide and the Holocaust doesn't occur when the machetes arrive on the ground. It doesn't occur when the train tracks, the railroad tracks, and the crematoriums are, are built it occurs when ideas and words are used to dehumanize. And if we see in the age of the Internet the dehumanization of the Jewish people, of the state of Israel, of Zionism, is now mainstream. 
And while we focus on the Jews and the Israelis, again, we see the slaughter in the region, in Syria and in, in Lebanon and the subjugation of people. The United Nations was built on the notion of recognizing the other. The great Jewish philosopher Emmanuel Levinas took Jewish ethics, took the teachings of the Torah, and brought it to the philosophy departments of Western universities. And he said, the moment, and this is based on Jewish ethics, the moment we see our face in the face of the other, at that instant, this is when we become human. At that instant, we become human. And all of the social democratic notions, democracy, citizenship, equality under the law, international harmony in the United Nations is based on the recognition of the other. And when we don't recognize the other, when we dehumanize the other, we know from history this could lead to segregation, this could lead to slavery, and this could even lead to genocide. So on this day, on Yom HaShoah, this must be the anti-Semitism of today, of today. We must learn the lessons of the past. This organization, this institution was created from the ashes of the past. And on Yom HaShoah in 2014, I hope that this organization could go back and find the spirit in which it was created and move forward to help eradicate anti-Semitism for the Jewish people, but not just for the Jewish people, for all of humanity and all of the other victims in which the anti-Semites are subjugating today in countries where there may not even be Jews, as I speak. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Small.